Hello, everyone. Welcome to the coronavirus special edition of the Wrestling Review. <laughs> the only virus we're talking about on this show is Cyrus the Virus, baby. Yeah, the only cure to corona is hanging out with fucking Kurgan, bruh. <laughs> studies have shown that the vaccination for coronaviruses, and you're not going to like this, Having come on yourself quite a bit in your teens yeah. and eating cheesies in your 20s. Wrestling fans are immune. WrestleMania will. This is the best part. As of this recording, of course, uh, everything is developing day by day, and this is a couple weeks ahead now. But as of this recording, Vince McMahon has not uh, called off WrestleMania, and fucking Christ, he's not gonna because he genuinely doesn't care if all the fans die. <laughs> Because then he could do a memorial show for all the wrestlers. He doesn't care. <laughs> Welcome to WrestleMania. Whatever fucking... What is the WrestleMania this year? 36? Sure. Ah, Welcome to WrestleMania 36, my favorite one. All the fans are dead, but they brought their wallets and then died. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Do you understand that that would be his greatest day? If, if at WrestleMania 36, Dave Meltzer shows up, dies of coronavirus in front of Vince McMahon... I think that he would immediately then just tell Shane to kill his own family. Shane, kill my grandkids. I don't need them anymore. It's already been a perfect day. <laughs> <laughs> Jack me. Jack me, Linda. <laughs> Linda, you're going to like where this is going. Jack me the fuck up. <laughs> oh. That's something I don't say to my wife enough. <laughs> Honey, you're going to be excited. What is it? You get to jack me off. No, no. No, no. <laughs> jack me the fuck off. <laughs> jack me the fuck hey, off. Hey, baby. Guess whose lucky day it is? Yours. Why? Because you get to jack me the fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> you stupid fucking bitch. Add that part, too. <laughs> no, that's too much. That's too much. Too bad. Oh, that's too much? You get to jack me off. Yeah. Jack me the fuck off, baby. <laughs> Eat my ass out. You know where we left the death of terror? By the way, oh wait, I'm Dylan Gott, by the way. I'm the jack me off with your lips is Dylan Gott. That's my name. And uh, jack me the fuck off, I'm John Hastings. And we left Vince McMahon uh, was formerly untethered from the NWA and baby, he's fucking advancing. And his first invasion is of Ohio. Mm, ladies and gentlemen, Vince McMahon is Corona and Ohio is his China. It's where it starts and they could have stopped it there. But they did not because they didn't take it seriously. <laughs> January 8th, he purchased TV out of Akron, Ohio. W-A-K-R-23. Man, I miss when TV stations all had weird letters in front of them. Like, do you remember? Because we both... What what Fox affiliate did you grow up with in rural Ontario? W-U-U-T-V-29. Oh, uh, Was that out of Buffalo? Yes. Yeah, I grew up with the same one, and it was weird because it would have, like, The Simpsons and all the good stuff, but then also in the afternoons, it aired arguably one of the scariest interstitial programs for kids, where just this thinly, this thin, probably a sex pest man named Craig hung out with a sofa yeah. in, a, yeah. Yeah. in a weird room that he had to take a tunnel to get into, and he clearly was a drunk and a drug addict. And we, hey, kids, <laughs> me and Sofa Boy don't like each other. All right. <laughs> Here's Beekman's world. Well, it was back before, like, now kids entertain kids. Like, there's this, like, 
my seven-year-old nephew watches a seven-year-old who does a comedy show on YouTube. And just looking back on the fact that it was like, like you said, like thin chain-smoking men just entertain children for so long. Like all those clowns that like raised our parents on TV where it's like, I'm Crunchy the Clown. Anyway... I'm about to teach you a little lesson called how to increase blood flow so your cock gets stiff and I can fuck your mom. Ah, I'm Asbestos the Clown and I am unsure how I got this job. They don't check if you got priors. They don't check if you got priors. They don't check. Mmm, thing to remember about drinking is that if you're dressed like a clown, they don't expect you to tip. <laughs> so this is again Vince McMahon's genius right now and this is clearly some this is the part of the Vince McMahon expansion and the Vince McMahon victory in this moment that is so fucking fascinating is that he is he looks at where the market is going all of these TV stations are expanding all of them are starting to take paid programming like infomercials and he basically presents wrestling as a different form of infomercial in that to them it will look like regular content because they've always had wrestling on all these channels but they'll be getting revenue from it loud as a car horn honk I've ever heard in my life <laughs> yeah it sounded like an accident happened but it was one though. car like there was no accident it was just, it was just a guy welcome to Los Angeles where a man in his 50s just breaks down and snaps about every 45 minutes. Um, <laughs> I don't goddamn like this town. Uh, <laughs> so it's basically just uh, Vince McMahon uh, turns his product into an infomercial, sells it to all of these little stations. They use that as revenue. And then that generates him an audience in that market because it just looks slightly more professional than the wrestling that the people in that area were expecting. Or they just didn't have wrestling because the last territory owner was like, ah, we could put on a show or he could just fucking, fucking take this man. Fuck you. Yeah, I could put a show on. I could get... Uh, the, the arena holds 500. We're selling three. Who gives a shit if 200 show up if the show cost me like you know, the ex thousands of dollars every week. Or, you know, the station manager doesn't really like wrestling enough to pay for it, but if they're going to pay him, why the fuck not? Yeah, and also, by the way, this is the moment where in 1983, Jim Barnett resigns from the NWA committee, and Jim Barnett uh, is credited with inventing studio wrestling, is credited with being a duplicitous snake who hates Ole Anderson, and goes to work for Vince McMahon. Basically, Vince McMahon, in a weird way, lucked out in that Ole fucked Jim Barnett probably because he didn't like that Jim Barnett was gay. Jim Barnett is a vengeful son of a bitch and goes, well, I know what to do here, and then just goes across the street to his old friend Vince Sr.'s son and was like, here's their fucking game plan over there. Here's what you need to do to get to, like, here are all the stations. I don't know the current station manager, but I used to have steak with the station owner 10 years ago. Let's fucking do this. Is I think how it happened? Yeah, I don't know if, I don't know if it's as reductive as Oli not liking him because he's gay. I think it's more from what I've judged it to be, and it's probably a combination of both to be fair, but it, it, judging to be like Oli looking at Jim Barnett and be like, why the fuck do we pay this guy? What the fuck does this guy do other than like sexually harass the lower the lower card guys and drink all the mar martinis on our tab. Yeah. 
And then, and then Jim Barnett goes, oh, you want to know what the fuck I do? Well, here's what I do. And then just gets every single NWA affiliate thrown off of these really weird little towns, which doesn't matter if you're looking at like Akron TV, that doesn't really matter. But then you add up 35 to 50 Akrons and all of a sudden you've got a fucking chunk taken out of your goddamn This product. is a really weird metaphor, but one of the successes, uh, one of the reasons why Van Halen became such a big band so quickly is because David Lee Roth's family was in the music business before, and they put things in record contracts for new bands in the 70s and 80s that basically they slow rolled out where your records ended up being. So it would be like America for this amount of time, then Japan, then all these places. And it fucks you because it slows your publishing down, and it also allows them to cancel the album if it's not going well. Um, David Lee Roth, family being the music business, he basically went, no, you have to put, um, like, it's weird things, like, you have to put our records, the same amount of records in America as there are in, like, Tahiti and Mexico. So basically that means that the record company has to print way more records. They want to make the money back on just the cost of those records faster. So then they push the album more with promotion and you do better. Essentially, Jim Barnett knew the ins and outs of this. And Akron doesn't seem like a big deal to the NWA at first. But it actually is. It's in the Midwest. It's a huge geographical area in Ohio. It's also a media hub in Cincinnati is very close. And so it's one of these things where it starts a giant spread uh, out of the WWF product. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. I feel like my David Lee Roth metaphor was a bit unnecessary, but hey, what are you going to do? <laughs> you know what? We all we learned more about Van Halen, and that's what wrestling shows yeah, are for. Yeah, we need to know more about Diamond David Lee Roth. Yeah, we need to learn more about cokeheads who wore just like cock socks for <laughs> most of the mm. 80s. Hey, David, are you wearing overalls and are completely tattooed for no reason? Yeah! Along with getting TV in these areas, like Ohio, he signs the mass superstar Tony Atlas and the Iron Sheik, who were featured in Ohio because they were ex-GCW talent. And this is, he, this is, yeah, this is a formula he repeats over and over and over again, where he just signs, like, three people from every territory and then puts them on in that territory, losing to his talent, so it establishes his talent as being better. And it makes perfect fucking sense. Again, this is all stuff that shows you why the invasion didn't work, why uh, even the NXT expansion and the use of indie talent doesn't necessarily work. Because in Vince McMahon's mind at this time, this is he is still very new to promoting. All of these tricks led to him being the really the only wrestling promoter of any worth in America for. A good portion of time. That's not fair. The number one wrestling promoter, by a long shot, always having a competing number two of more and more significance depending on the year. So I can understand in this... Re You're Vince McMahon, where you have had unprecedented success, or in this case, you are going for expanding your business. Your business model involves that only the people you feel you've made are successful... That leads you to being a billionaire. It will be very difficult for you to be like, mm, you're right. This Ring of Honor champion does deserve to beat unnamed muscly man that I like. Yeah. Well, of course. 
why all these people are trying to tell you what to do and it's like no i made this this was nothing before me like in vince mcmahon's eyes in vince mcmahon's eyes it was like he created the united states of america of wrestling it was just a bunch of states loosely some of them ran more than one state but he consolidated everything he's the abraham lincoln of wrestling in his mind i am so he obviously buys we talked about joe blanchard he buys next time next up was detroit uh how did you pronounce that how did you pronounce that what you said detroit (laughs) yeah detroit no it's detroit no it's detroit no you detroit Let's all head to Detroit with Dylan God. He's sassy. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, I'm a little baby. Oh, I'm a... Time to change Dylan. Put Detroit. Detroit. That's uh, how your mom says Next up it. was that, and because uh, Ed Farhad had destroyed the entire uh, territory, so he just walked in and was like, hey, some people are going to fight, and none of them are going to pretend they don't speak uh, English for the entirety of your contract negotiations. Uh, Ed, and he sa- and then the people there said, good, jail, um, good deal. I like that. Ed Farhat, by the way, also almost destroyed the Canadian territory uh, by he would go around, and he's the o- one of the very few people that has... Um, Wins against Andre the Giant in that he would beat Andre by countout by throwing a fireball in his face outside yeah. the ring. Ed Farhat absolutely fucked the Detroit territory. It's one of those very interesting ECW sidebars where the EC- ECW very much brought the Sheik back to prominence because his nephew, Sabu, was in ECW. But the more you look into the Sheik, you're like, this guy's a fucking asshole. All he does is threaten to stab people. There's a lot of people like that. No, yeah. Especially, I mean, Ric Flair, where like Ric Flair would just like take money from promoters and then be like, I'm back with the WWF. And they'd be like, well, what about that thing you were going to do with us? And it's like, ah, no. <laughs> Thanks for the money, though. Ooh. Yeah, Ric Flair, by the way, um, I don't know if any of you have been listening to the Arn, Anders- the Arn Show. It's as if they were like, listen, we want to do... We want to do another Tony Schiavone podcast. Thank you for the sponsorship, to, uh, uh, Tony. But we want it to be hosted by the angriest man in the world who who knows just enough about uh, other people's wrestling careers to be very, very uninformed. Very good. He, him talking about the wrestling business, especially in the territory days, does actually out that a lot of people were straight up fucking monsters. Because here's the one thing about Arn Anderson. Probably a bitter old fuck, but not a dick. He just he likes his wine in his coffee cup, and he wants to just let you know there ain't no fucking crying in life if you're a man. <laughs> yeah, he's he just told a bunch of humorous to him stories about how a man cried as he watched his father die, and it's like <laughs> you shake his hand and then you push him in the lake. <laughs> That's how you watch a man die. Son, I have pancreatic cancer. I have three to five years to live. Well, well, Dad, uh, the only one thing to do, time to shake your hand, take you down to the lake, and drown you like a fucking puppy. <laughs> Shot in the head, drown in the lake. Those are your options. Goddamn right, son. Let's go down to the lake. No time to say goodbye to the grandkids. Don't want them to have memory of grandfather. <laughs> Memories are for liberals. Memories are for women, Dad. You know that. You taught me that. (laughs) So here's something fun. Um, 
Vince contacts George Cannon, who is the owner of the Superstars of Wrestling promotion, to offer a deal. Cannon was responsive because he had taken over from Ed Farhat. McMahon sold Cannon in a three-way deal. One-third went to Titan Sports. One-third to Cannon. One-third to Olympia Stadium Corporation, the administrator of Detroit's two main venues, which is Cobo Hall and Joe Louis Arena. Cannon would make upwards of $60,000 a year and remain in Detroit assisting with operations on WWE's behalf, much as Mike LaBelle had agreed to previously. Cutting this many deals by the end of it, how do you put that much energy into every single deal, you think? I think that he probably, Jim Barnett was definitely, I think, assisting and bridging the gap for some of these deals. I think that Okay. Um, it's also a lot of them were probably pretty motivated to sell, and also look how quickly Vince yeah. is doing this. This is August. Is that deal? Let's look up. Uh, no, that's August was August was the Southwest Championship Wrestling. August is Ohio. August is Ohio, and they debut with the television on by December. This is December. By December, December thirtieth, they debut. So this is like every couple months. No, because then the other thing is. Uh, he does a deal in California in September. Yeah. And that's and then they have a, sh- a show in San Jose. So basically what it is is... Basically they would go into a territory, have a bunch of promotion, have a bunch of talent that used to be in that territory, and Andre the Giant. Yeah. It's a great... They have Andre the Giant. They have the biggest star in wrestling. Um, And I think it's also... The, they do keep... Um, uh, running into some fucking problems. He tries to buy Don Owens out. That doesn't happen. Starcade does happen. You have to remember, the NWA is strong as fuck in 83. Um, Vince, yeah. now, this is where we start getting into the real dirty... Because in the end, Vince doesn't seem like he's a wrestling promoter in the beginning of this uh, episode. He seems like a savvy, smart businessman taking advice from Jim Barnett, a man who looks like a mink died on his head, uh, and who may or may not have exposed himself to Jim Ross when Jim Ross was a young referee. That's all I'm saying. Now he become now you see his true wrestling colors, and then it's like, all right, my expansion is going pretty well. Time to, for no reason, hobble my competition by offering their champion a quarter of a million dollars not to appear on their largest card. Harvey Race and him meet for drinks, and Vince offers him $250,000 to join the WWF and not defend his championship against Ric Flair at Starcade. Holy fucking shit. What would happen? And Harley, by the way, and because Harley Race is just basically um, uh, medium rare steak if it was a man, of course drank his booze, entertained the entire thing because Harley Race, unlike Ric Flair, had a genuine understanding of the wrestling business and knew that he was just a pawn in the promoter's fucking chess game uh, and at the last minute decided not to do it. Yeah, of course not, because you take the free meal and then you... you, Because he knew... Like, Harley Race, there's no way he didn't know that the writing was on the wall. Because they're also, like, taking stock of who is going up against you because Harley Race now controls the St. Louis territory. Absolutely, but it was still a shock that in a couple of years Harley Race ends up in the WWF. Like no one was expecting that. I, I mean, I obviously wasn't there at the time. I was you weren't two years old at this point. I was not there. I was the waiter actually. Oh. Um, but it does seem pretty cut and dry that like it's basic business shit. You just stick around. Don't be a dick. Don't storm out. It's not a goddamn movie. You take the free meal. You take the booze. You say no politely and leave. That's it. Because he doesn't want to be a dick to Vince because obviously 
even if this fails for what Vince wants it to be, there's going to be a lot of money there and he can make some of that money. Yeah. You know, like even at this point, if it fails, he's offering like cartoon money at this point, $250,000. So $250,000 in 1983, you read on and I'll tell you what the top athlete in the world made at that time. I'm going to say it was a Buick and a handshake and a hundred grand. Um <laughs> Uh, what did happen as a result uh, is news that the secret offer then reached the NWA behind closed doors. Uh, and the idea that the NWA champion had even been offered to affect the WWF would have been a major blow to the NWA. And it proved that Vince McMahon gave the public perception of cooperation with the NWA, but was in fact fucking totally going against them and was so happy about it. And the NWA got real pissed off and then they all went home and ironed their plaid sport coats. Um, he was uh, building a brand new staff in 1983. He welcomed his first employee to Titan Sports, and that was a 33-year-old Howard Finkel, born in Newark, New Jersey. He was a ringer announcer for McMahon Senior before being hired in uh, when he was hired in 1981, and um, he was way more than a simple uh, ring announcer. He was uh, one of the backstage creative guys. He was in charge of all uh, media. Uh, to do with the WWF and also was essentially just the guy that the wrestlers who worked in the office picked on. Uh, anytime a car was destroyed in the Attitude Era, it was Howard Finkel's. Um, apparently, like, I'm <laughs> deadly serious. Like, that was apparently like the joke of anytime they broke a car in the Attitude Era, that was Howard Finkel's car. That's very like funny. they just burst like they mercilessly mercilessly picked on him. He uh, combed the uh, Wrestling Observer every week, and that's known because uh, Howard Finkel's wife had a subscription to the Wrestling Observer. Um, all sorts of things. He was essentially the WWF's dog's body for over thirty years, and then became beloved for kind of managing X Pac during the Attitude Era. <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot about that. But also may have named WrestleMania, right? Uh, yes, he, I think, did re name WrestleMania. You, of course, know what Vince McMahon wanted to call WrestleMania, showing that good promoter, bad marketer. The Colossal Tussle. Or Hulkamania. Yeah, you just change it every he year. It was Colossal Tussle, and then he wanted to go call it Hulkamania. And then that's where it's WrestleMania, is that Howard Finkel was like, well, no, but Hulk Hogan might end up saying the n-word while he's fucking his friend's wife so we probably want to distance yeah, yeah, ourselves yeah. from him and then everyone was like howard that seems weirdly specific and he's like he's fucked my wife and i'm not cool with it but unable to do anything about it coming down to the ring it's hulk hogan coming in my yeah. wife no condom uh welcome to hulk hogan making me a cuckold not into it but wife does not Respect my wishes. Time to eat dry cereal. <laughs> no milk in the house. Howard does it again. Howard Finkel is Willem Dafoe's character in uh, Boogie Nights. Minus the gun. <laughs> yeah, no gun. I'd shoot you, but more so I'll just get you something to eat. Yeah, oh. I've seen Boogie Nights, and boy do I want to have the courage of Dafoe, but instead of bullets, I'll just jack off in my own face. Finally, <laughs> So obviously, McMahon is preventing way more of like a child-friendly uh, product than the people he's going up against. Now, as we talked about before, may everything's becoming very PG and Christian right-wing. But it does. Think about Vince McMahon's childhood, and then think about the child-friendly product he presents. 
it makes so much sense in that it's askew and a bit fucking crazy. Who should the children like? A giantly muscly blonde man who can protect them and tell them to drink milk. And a Samoan man that will kill the weak part of the sex. <laughs> Who's this? Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> who are the villains? Little mean men that resemble your brother. Ooh, and then uh, there's... The, the good guy has to be Aryan because there's black gangs all over the place that Vince, no. <laughs> no, let me finish. No. I will tell the Detroit television what I know about black gangs. The Vince, sit down. How uncomfortable do you think it is to be in traffic with Vince McMahon? He's got all the windows rolled up. He's farting super loud, laughing, rolling down the window using old-timey racial slurs. Do you think that this is very recent? Like, this is a Vince McMahon that is, like, boo like at this point, he has to mind his P's and Q's, and then in 20 years, once he's, like, once WCW's out of business, that's when he goes full nuts. Yeah, I think that he had... I guess we'll I find think he out. Basically, he lived the Hans Gruber quote, so Alexander left, uh, wept for he had no more worlds to conquer. Yo, sick. Like, you have to understand, this is the beginning of his entire legacy as a professional adult begins right now in this year and we and he lived to see it through we should do this close of 83 the company buys titan towers they moved from south yarmouth massachusetts to greenwich connecticut yeah so he moves to greenwich yeah and it's very smart it's within spitting distance of new york it's a very posh swish suburb um he buys property on the same road that would eventually house ron howard and uh, he filmed most of the vignettes of the 80s in that very house. Over the 80s. Uh, he also, who else is... Yeah, you could easily fly out from New York. You could, uh, so anyone can fly out from New York and just drive up. And then he can film all the vignettes in-house, which is another big thing where you save all your money just by doing all of the promotion in-house. Fly them in, do everyone in a day, get them the fuck also, out. Also, Greenwich, Connecticut, home to one of the best pieces, uh, one of the best pizzas I've ever had in my life, Pizza Factory. Pizza factory. Here's really? the thing. It's the only time I've ever had thin crust, crunchy, yet still soft in the middle. Fucking phenomenal. Really good. <laughs> Lovely cheese. A bit too much sauce, but that's not always a bad thing. So let's take a break after your fun pizza, fun pizza experience, and then we'll talk more about how the territory slowly fell under the might of a guy who had a terrible childhood. Suck me. Mm, Dylan Gott uses the N-word. We need money for lawyers. Donate to Patreon. Minimum donation, $5. Maximum donation, suck job. Suck! Um, is what uh, Vince McMahon nice. thinks um, all racists should do to his penis. Vince McMahon's a racist. <laughs> Vince McMahon was old right before it was a thing. He was one of the Koch brothers, maybe. Yeah, he was one of the he was, yeah, but spelled C O C A I N E. <laughs> nice. Thank you. Uh, so, December twenty seventh, the WWF invades St. Louis. Of course, the home of Bob Geigel, former former NWA, sorry, Stronghold. WWF held a taping at the Coruscant Room at the Chase Park. Plaza Hotel. They are wrestling in some of the. They're wrestling at high schools. They're wrestling in ballrooms. Like it's. 
Well, they're getting any room they can with a couple thousand people that they think they can fill. This was also where Wrestling at the Chase was filmed, which was a long-time program, so it was very symbolic more than anything. And on the move to St. Louis, McMahon was quoted as saying, St. Louis isn't that much different from other major markets. We can bring in new talent, more sophisticated marketing techniques, and a new approach. The consumer isn't going to suffer. The consumer is going to be the winner. I mean, that's such a creepy 80s businessman thing to say. It's like... Here's, of course. Here's the thing you got to remember about the consumer. They're they're going to consume, and I'm going to make sure that they think they like what they're consuming, but they won't. I mean, that's bad. You're bad. I hate you. The thing, my favorite thing about this is we've destabilized the banks, so in 30 years, someone's going to lose their home. Mr. McMahon, what are you doing? Oh, I mean, I like wrestling. Is that what you wanted me to say? Here's the thing about my business model. It's always just important to fucking placate the middle classes because they're all just a bunch of fucking sheep. And you know what my favorite fucking dinner is? Lamb, bitch. <laughs> but like 83 and 84, every single day he's like... Because like the, like the next week he signs Hulk Hogan starting a war with the AWA. So it's like literally every single week he's going from town to town in the country being like, upset that man, upset that man, upset that man, upset that man. Uh, Don Morocco... You're not going to like this. You have a job at a car factory now because that guy pissed me off, so I want you to take his job. You get the job from being a wrestler, which you don't do anymore, plus his salary. Take his job. Thank you. Now he's now he's upset and sad. Cowboy Bob Orton, hello. Yes. Um, a man with a broken arm really fucking chapped my ass. I have stolen his cast. You will wear it on television for two years. <laughs> Send a fucking I've message. I've paid every doctor in town to make sure he never gets a cast. His... Uh, his arm will heal poorly. This is Vince McMahon's brilliance in that the one thing he's very good at is he knows when to pick a fight with all of these territories. Like, Don Owens is like, no, I don't want to sell. And he then isn't, he doesn't then declare war on Don Owens. He basically is like, that's a fair thing to think and a fair thing to know. Have a good time, Don. As opposed to the AWA, he looks at Vern Gagne and the program is like, Big feud coming up this week in the AWA. Vern Gagne beats the concept of well-being. Also, Nick Bockwinkle takes a full nap in the middle of the ring for the last half hour of our program. <laughs> will he roll over? Vern Gagne will face every Olympian he could possibly find and beat them up in the middle of the ring. Uh, he's got onset dementia. He doesn't know where he is. Coming up next week on the AWA, Vince McMahon gathers the, or uh, uh, Vern Gagne gathers the entire roster in the bathroom and he shows them how to take a shit because he doesn't feel that they're shitting manly enough. <laughs> you make no noise when shitting. No noise. Noises from your body are reserved for three times. Ejaculate, only nose appropriate. Thank you. At a funeral, looking at your dad <laughs> after you dredged him out of the lake saying, I win. Third noise. Your son graduates high school and you could say, good. That's it. Never say I love you to your son. That will make him weak. That will make him your daughter. He is not your daughter. He is your son. <laughs> uh, next week on the AWA, Greg Ganya cries in a mirror. Vern, completely naked, calls him a. He calls him, "Are you my wife now, Greg?" Because that's what my wife does. Yeah. Larry Zabisco takes forty-five minutes to get in the ring, and when he does, he quit. <laughs> I quit. <laughs> oh, I'd like to see that match.
Apparently, Vern was really hurt by Mean Gene's exit because he claimed that he matched the WWF offer and Mean Gene just said no. I don't think you understand, Vern. I've exhausted my pleasure resources here. I want to take my company worldwide to... Vern, you can't protect me from the law the way McMahon can. So I'm off there to turn all those little women's skulls into candle holders. <laughs> Vince McMahon did one important thing with regards to James Snooker that I cannot ignore. I have to go with Vince yeah. McMahon. Here's the thing to remember, Vern. You have property by Lake Minnesota, and if I were you, don't ever let them develop that land or they are going to find more bones than a goddamn dinosaur excavation site. Ha 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 ha! Hey, Vern, remember how you had eight cats? I sewed them all together into one giant cat, and then it died, and then I fucked that pile of fur. Best girlfriend Mean Gene ever had. <laughs> so Vince is now attacking in four major ways. Network TV, syndicated TV, basic cable, and of course pay cable. Local TV was never uh, was used in local markets to win over audiences of territories. Vince wanted to take over and promote live events in those areas. Wider scale TV was used to build up national wrestling stars, penetrate markets. Vince had no specific access to. It was considered... Uh, key to customize content to local markets as part of the national expansion. Um, this is all. This is the, this is Vince McMahon at his smartest, quite frankly, in that he looks at. He is on the cutting edge of the type of technology that is being used for broadcasting. He is tailoring his content to that. Uh, the, um, those different mediums he is specifically gearing towards talent and putting talent over that would help him in those areas and or transitioning to his own specific talent and he is picking his battles fucking perfectly he is staying away from the nwa strongholds for the most part if he's going up against someone it is someone that he sees weakness in probably before anyone else does because you have to remember Yes, he signs Hulk Hogan, but the AWA was still incredibly fucking strong. All of the record-setting gates the AWA had were in 82, 83. Because, yes, Hogan was super hot, but it was also, this was a time before people realized that their television show was essentially people snap, like people falling asleep in the ring. This was a crazy time to pick, to fight the AWA, and Vince McMahon knew, no, actually, they're way weaker than you perceive. Yeah. Every territory is doing great, and then he just consolidates that into a wrestling, into a worldwide wrestling. And group. he knows when to hit him. Oh, it's fucking great! I this is the this is the part. Yeah, they're all strong, but they're weak. Cause you look at it ostensibly, you're right. Like WCCW has the Von Erich brothers who are doing crazy well. AWA has Bockwinkle on top, and they're doing crazy well. NWA's just done Starcade, which is every regional promotion consolidated their top stars which are all doing amazingly like it does not look like another company can start but he definitely does yeah it's also he but it's when he picks to go after them he couldn't have taken down the von erickson 83 they were too hot too part of the tapestry in dallas st fucking stays away with them puts them in his magazine he waits so what am i gonna do i'll go to the play i'll go to detroit where the sheik's already fucked it build up my strength, build up my national television base, and then a station in Dallas is going to have to put me on. Yeah, it's true. And just wait till you have enough shit going that it's like you can at least compete to the, with them, and then wrestling fans want to see more wrestling. That's the other thing. Like, Wrestling fans will watch. At this point, it's also an hour. 
of wrestling. So people will watch two hours. Yeah, why not? Why not? It's, a, it's essentially he's a sort of in a way returning to this form with how he's doing the XFL version 2.0 where it's just we'll do it right after the original uh, the NFL season and it's like that only not as good. And everyone's like fuck yeah. <laughs> well also the XFL like has a thing to it at least. Like the AAF didn't have anything. It was just like here's another fucking football league. But the XFL, it's like, it's going to be weird and silly, and there's going to be weird rules. You won? Well, actually, you lost. The point of the game is to not score. What? The cheerleaders, hell, have guns. We all have to run, everyone in the stadium. <laughs> Someone in the arena has corona, and they're coughing. Welcome to the XFL. Oh, that I didn't look up either. Is the XFL canceling for corona? Absolute, or are they I like? I guarantee not. I guarantee Vince McMahon is calling basketball stadiums and being like, we'll play there, we'll play on the wood. Wow. No, the XFL has also been postponed. It is March 12th, 2020, and the world now is Now it's serious. It's, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Strap in. So in just four months, in four months, the WWF had invaded the territories of Vern Gagne, Jerry Jarrett, Bill Watts, Jim Crockett, and Fritz Von Erich. This is crazy. And then, of course, they fucking do... Uh, in 83, obviously, Crockett booked a highly rated story leading up to the first arcade. Fla a flare for the gold. We all know what happens there. If you don't, uh, Harley Race put a fucking price on goddamn Ric Flair's head. Of course, Starcade does happen in 83. It, we can't, you can't not mention, as John said, how crazy successful Starcade was. 15,500 fans, estimate range between uh, 30,000 and 80,000. In a $10? Um, on closed circuit, uh, on closed circuit no, television. That's how many people that were in Greensboro, Dylan. And it was wrestling's first million uh, dollar gate. JCP became the face of the true opposition to the WWF, of course. And immediately after that, Steamboat temporarily retired in 84. Obviously... Right after this, pretty much, they lose Steamboat and Piper. So that's not good. No, this is not good. This is Vince, And this is Vince McMahon's genius in that, okay, I can't get the champion. All right, I'm moving down the card, and I will take... I can't get the skull that contains the brain. I'm going to take the ribs and the wrist. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's also one of those things where it plants the seed perfectly for WrestleMania. If I'm Vince McMahon and I'm watching that and I'm going, this is a really good, specifically wrestling card, if I add some celebrities to this, do this in New York, and add a bit more showbiz razzmatazz to this, I will beat this in the zeitgeist because people who don't like wrestling will know about this. The NWA's major flaw, which Vince McMahon knew intrinsically from when he began promoting, it seemed, which is you want to spike your value, you have to be synonymous with people that don't know wrestling know you. And part of that is the wrestlers he chose, all of them have unique looks. Also, big events that he presented that he was attempting to get mainstream success was something he went for right away, hence having Mr. T main event WrestleMania is basically a way of they'll put that in the New York Times, even if it's not in a specific, not even a good place, it's going to be in the newspaper over Jim Crockett promotion. That's true. The, uh, the thing about uh, the Crockett at this time, though, is that they have an old roster, so they just they panic sign a bunch of people. Like good signings, though, they they sign the Road Warriors uh, amongst others, and they have sorry, 
the decline comes pretty quickly after Starcade uh, at the Omni in Atlanta. Ad- attendance had dropped below 2,000 and only brought in 2,500 for the Christmas offering, which is Christmas shows were very, very big at that time. It was felt that Tommy Rich was being overexposed. Ronnie Garvin and Killer Brooks were unpopular despite being booked high on the card. He also did this trick where he tried to, like, edit matches to make it look like jobbers had or were beating guys who now were top stars in the WWF, which just, like, came off... Like, it would basically edit the three punches someone landed against Roddy Piper and just put them over six times to be like, wow, that guy really beat up Roddy Piper, didn't he? But you had just told everyone Roddy Piper was amazing for like a year and then doing this huge flip? Anyway. It's so fucking interesting how um, they are trying to combat Vince with Vince's tricks, but they're not as good at Vince. Um, they're not as good at Vince's Vince just tricks did as Vince. Because they don't have any... It's not like they signed Don Morocco or they signed Jimmy Stuka or Bob Backlund. Like, that's the thing that they could have done around this time that would have been really advantageous is signing like Bob Backlund and then just having Bob Backlund lose to Tommy Rich over and over again and then apologizing for trying to fight him and then he sucks his limp dick and then Tommy Rich gets the mic and goes, this fucking loser can't even get my dick hard and everyone boos him. I mean, I think that's the greatest metaphor that's ever happened. This fucking loser can't even turn me on enough to have me nut, and let me tell you, and then he puts the mic to the crowd, and the crowd goes, I love to nut, because that was his catchphrase. Here's how much I love wrestling in the 80s, is Tommy Rich was the hottest wrestler in the Georgia Territory, so they very briefly put the NWA title on him, and everyone, including Ole Anderson, claims that that happened because Tommy Rich was sucking Jim Barnett's dick. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's what everyone... There's so many comedy things that have happened where I'm like, oh shit, why'd they get that? Because <laughs> they ate out <laughs> this lady. It's like, I don't think no. that's why. I think it's just they had a good set. No, ate her ass. The same guy who makes those comments in comedy is the same guy that makes those comments in wrestling. We're talking glasses, thin body, still with a gut, being like, I'll tell you why they got that over me. He fucking licks clam, not me, man. <laughs> <laughs> basically what it is is that it's this it's this consistent and constant this is like a weird thing where it's almost the same thing i want to say sorry uh sorry to cut you off but i want to say it's almost the exact same thing as wcw and how wcw fell because jcp it's not the same timeline but it, amidst all this they're losing a lot of talent and like getting destroyed by the wwf the road warriors come in and are a sensation yeah, the NWA was still was still all right at making talent. It was just that the WWF Pepsi is still a fine soda pop, but it pales in comparison mm. to Coca Cola. Ooh, take that. Yeah, exactly. Um, and also, but if you also look at it, the Road Warriors were very clearly a Vince McMahon type product. The NWA just got to first. The one thing they try to do is February sixteenth, eighty four. Ole Anderson invades Baltimore with Larry Zabisco on top against Bruno San Martino Jr., <laughs> which is a weird thing because it's kind of like... So David... I, I was also confused about this. Is Bruno San Martino Jr. just David San Martino with a different name, or is that a different guy? I think it's David San Martino. Yeah, it must be David San Martino. David San Martino who just like... I don't know. Everyone says Bruno is a very good man. David San Martino... Like, how fucked up that kid was 
kind of shows a different thing. I mean, although maybe he was just like a... David San Martino was just a Gen Xer, bro, and he just wanted some fucking love, and Bruno would never give it to him. You don't like the tomatoes enough. Yeah, you don't. When I make my macchio and my gravy, you don't smile like Manona. <laughs> Here's $4,500. Go buy yourself a candy. I don't know how much money is for things. I don't think I'll ever know uh, love in the same way that Italian fathers showed dislike towards their own children in the 90s when I was growing up. <laughs> what would they do? I remember the, I went to school with these two twins, Fabio and Sonia, and their dad one time just showed up in the middle of gym class when we were running outside and yelled at his son for not running faster. Like, I still don't know how... He knew when gym class was, if he was just driving by and was just like, I got a letter mono. I mean, I've seen that with, there was John Robbins, who just was like a bigger guy. Not, John Robbins wasn't by no stretch a fat kid. He was just like, but his dad was thin and like really, really into marathon running. And his dad was like thin, like a thin set guy. Yeah. And John and he would just make John run laps and John would just be weeping and he'd be like, run, John, run. <laughs> and then he was like, all right, does anyone want to join the track team? And we'd be like, no, you don't, you kid fucker. <laughs> I remember that, too. Where it'd be like, uh, I remember Derek Wilcox got one of the biggest laughs I've ever seen where it's like, uh, you remember you tell us to not get in, guy in vans with guys? How can we got the guy who drives the van around town? <laughs> <laughs> be one of the teachers and then killed, super killed. <laughs> and he was a bully too. And never when even the people who like he bullied were like, gotta give it to him. That's a sick burn. Oh, yeah, I know. I'll never forget. There was one time, uh, one of the, like, he was just a shithead. This kid, Matt, in my, uh, um, in my grade, he was just a piece of shit yuppie scumbag. Like he was one of those bullies that, like, for some reason, he always had girls were always around him, but every dude was like, "Fuck this smirking fuck." And I'll never forget yeah. in geography, he's like me. He fucked a lot. He beat the shit out of guys. He didn't even beat the. Sh it, we'll just call him Dylan God. <laughs> it was not Dylan God. He was not covered in bacne, <laughs> nor were all of his shirts somehow bacne from the steroids and the excess testosterone from nutting too much in Incorrect. girls. Incorrect. Uh, Dylan Gott lost his virginity Very in correct. the Obama administration in that he fucked in the world. I lost my virginity in, yeah, the Obama administration of him being a senator. No. President? Yep. Nope. Yep. Senator. President? Senator. President? Wait a minute. What was he before that? I lost my virginity in the Obama administration of his school class uh, when he was class president. <laughs> you lost it in the 70s? You lost it? Yeah, I was molested. <laughs> you lost it eight years before you were born? Yeah. Yeah, I did. Anyway, yeah, so this Matt kid. This Matt kid. Fucks I just a remember lot. In, you don't fuck I just a remember lot. in geography class, the, the teacher was like, and the thing with topographic maps, and Matt just went, topographic, more like fuck off man <laughs> so <laughs> that's good you put, and you can't you, like do anything you, you can't he put no thought into that and that was you good imagine stuff. when it was like when kids said that in like the 60s i don't want to sound too old but like it's like when kids said that in the 60s they did it at a price do you know what I mean? kid was like you know what i'm taking the laugh i don't care about getting punched <laughs> <laughs> the teacher would just knock them clean unconscious 
Anybody else want to say anything? Like, that's not... I don't have anything that funny enough to say that's punch-worthy yet. Any of you other little yet. bitches want to fucking taste. <laughs> if you ever want to understand Britain, just remember they beat up kids in schools well into the 90s. Welcome to Tony Blair's Britain. Why is your kid crying? Because he's weak, bitch. So... Vince McMahon does not take these things kindly. Not. Does he take invasions? No. So here's what he does. What does he do? He books every single star he has in the Baltimore Civic Center selling it out. Andre the Giant, Jimmy Snooker, Don Morocco, Roddy Piper, Hulk Hogan, who was the champion, Tito Santana, the tag champs, Tony Atlas, and Rocky Johnson. Which is so interesting because I don't imagine... Tony Atlas and Rocky Johnson having been champions at the same time as Hulk Hogan. They're like divided into two separate eras in my head, but that happened. And then Anderson <laughs> put uh, Ric Flair against Jack Briscoe on April 7th, which must have, which he <laughs> he was losing. For, he didn't draw as much for sure. Like, why? <laughs> we're bringing back. Oh, yeah. You have a, a big strong man who picks up kids and. Um, and is the delight of everyone in the arena? Well, we've got a guy who just finished trying to date rape all the stewardesses on the flight, and he's going to wrestle a guy who believes a waist lock is too showy. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. A leg drop in a 20-minute match filled with high spots? That pales in comparison to two alcoholics hugging for an hour. <laughs> yeah. It followed, and at the hour mark, a, a pin. Uh, a a tights-assisted pin. I hope you... Uh, I hope you are ready for the drama of what they call a wrestling Broadway. <laughs> so, 84 had opened with an all-out war, and the NWA is gaining its first victories in its quest to defeat the threat Vince had unquestionably become to all of their livelihoods. We'll be back with the final part of the Death of the Territories Part 4 next week. John, what was your favorite part about this era for Vince McMahon? Warrior Princess? I think it's the only time that he doesn't make any wrong moves. I think it's an he's in an absolute... Super Saiyan, uh, Super Mario Brother with the fucking star invincibility streak, and it's absolutely amazing. As a wrestling fan that's been very critical of Vince McMahon throughout his entire tenure, of me being a smarky asshole, um, to see where the foundation was laid and how smooth and perfect that foundation was, how he essentially oh, Tully wants to, or, or uh, Oldie wants to start a wrestling war. Well, he brought. A bunch of water pistols, and I've brought nuclear weapons. Um, Vern Gagne is, he's the only person that sees weakness in Gagne and absolutely exploits it. Because in the end, by the way, the only people that dispute Hulk Hogan's story um, are the Gagnes. Everyone else involved in that story is like, yeah, Vern did take a piece of your merchandise. Vern did insist on this amount of money. Vern was a cheapskate. Hogan was right to leave. Like, in everyone's hatred of... Hulk Hogan, they still are like, yeah, but Vern was a piece of shit. Yes, and this is like, Vince McMahon's doing this the way Genghis Khan does. Where like, Genghis Khan went town to town with a bigger army, and cumulatively, those armies were much bigger than his army. But the thing is, you can't get all these generals to work together, so Vince just went town to town. And the thing was, once he defeated a territory or bought out their TV, he would take someone from that territory and give them a cushy job so they weren't angry. He wasn't taking anything from somebody. He was just giving them money. And then, of course, in time, he fucked them over. But, like, at the time, no, I'm just the czar, and here's a bit of money. You know, let's say you made 
$100,000 for working really, really hard. Well, now you make $90,000 for uh, calling the TV station and being like, episode's ready, click, back to sleep. Like, who cares? Yeah, it's truly... And it cannot be stated how much this guy understands debt in a way that these other guys don't. Like, he's weaponized debt as a businessman. Well, it's cl- but it's a classic 80s business practices, is that... You maximize your debt and other portions of your company to make sure that you're always looking profitable, even though that it's very easy to go into a tailspin. In that, six months ago, Vince McMahon looked like a genius, and right now he is running around trying to find a partner to stream his pay-per-views because his profits are in a tailspin. Yeah, because the he the, the UFC signed that ESPN Plus deal and changed the entire way he thought he could do business. And now it's like, basically, young him, Dana White... Uh, is in a different business and he's like reading reacting to what dana white's doing like he could learn a lot from dana white especially like since dana white is the less carny vince mcmahon dana white is earnest vince mcmahon where it's like he lies all the time and he does it bold face but he doesn't do it in character he's just a man who's a man who's a piece of shit from boston rather than a man who's a piece of shit from south carolina he's just got enough confidence to like still be from boston he has a Patriot shirt on at all times. Here's time. the thing that you you always need to know about Dana White is he ships snow in for Christmas because he lives in Las Vegas. That's who, it's that's beautiful. Who you want as a promoter? Um, couldn't you just go to Boston? No, bring the snow to me. Uh, probably the worst thing about Vince McMahon during this period is uh, I don't know destabilizing the entire industry just seemingly because he wanted to prove something. <laughs> I mean. But that could be said at any point in his career. Uh, what's your worst thing about Vince McMahon? Mm, I'm going to go with the... Oh, this is hard because there isn't that many... This is like one of the This is like one of the few respites. This is like a pretty perfect year in his life. Like he crowns Hogan. He's still, employ- he's still employing uh, Jimmy Snuka. That he's still... He is still just like... Here's the thing. You, here's what you need to remember about old Vinnie Mac. Murder your wife. Job for life. <laughs> All right, so that's the end of the fucking episode. Part four is next week. Go to at Dylan Gott on Twitter for all my tour information. April 11th and 18th. That's one in Peterborough, one in Gananoque. I forget which is which. At Dylan Gott. DylanGott.net for all the shows. At Wrestler Review for uh, our fun stuff on what we're up to. Uh, at Wrestler Review on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, join us on Patreon. Patreon.com backslash Wrestler Review. John, what do you got to say? Hey, how about you all join Patreon because Dylan and I are professional comedians and it looks like this virus may claim live performance for a while. And <laughs> we need money. Yeah, that's true. We're going to be doing those boasters fast. Who knows? I mean, this is going to be released in like a month, so who knows? This will be... <laughs> who knows? Podcasts will become a lot more popular. Thanks very much for listening, guys. Uh, we love you so much. Mm. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>